So when you're able to do that and you're, you're like, you're hyper aware of yourself and you're in this presence, you become a mirror. Mm. You know, a great example is when you're really feeling good and happy, right? And you're confident and then you meet someone and they're like in the opposite state. It becomes a mirror. Like you can see what's going on with them because of what you're experiencing versus what they're experiencing. So you, you're able to develop empathy. So when you're in presence, you even develop that empathy even more, that awareness, not only of what you're experiencing, but what others are experiencing. Welcome to the Rising Leader Podcast bringing forth the new wave of rising leadership and helping leaders find purpose, connection, and results. This is your host, founder of Alluviance, Alex Kremer. All right, well, welcome to the show. First, I want to introduce my very good friend, my mentor, my advisor, and just person I really care about a lot, Rob Renahan, someone who I've known for almost six years. He's been my personal coach for six years. He has taught me a lot about leadership. He's taught me a lot about meditation and mindfulness, but most importantly, he's really taught me a lot about how to be the fullest version of myself and love that and also love the world around me. And I'm really grateful to be here with you and have you on the show. And yeah, likewise, uh, brother. just to really have a really cool deep dive here. Absolutely. Uh, first, I'll give your background for the listeners here on, on who you are, and then maybe you can fill in the blanks. Elaborate a little bit, sure. Yeah. So Rob, you have been in the personal development space and been coaching leaders and individuals for about 15 years now. You studied... 30 years. I've been, I've been doing it for oh my 30 years. You long time. All right. 30 years, man. That is a long time. I look younger, everyone, than I actually am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not as young as I look. So you've been coaching, you've been developing people and leaders for about 30 years now. You studied as a monk uh, in a Zen monastery for eight years, and you are the founder of Lumina and the founder of Dynamic Presence whose purpose it is to bring a second tier ecosystem, which I'm assuming we will be diving into on this conversation today and bringing forth the wave of leadership within this world to make a positive impact. And so it's very good to have you here. And I mean, our first Rob, what did I miss? What is an important fact about you or things about you that I missed? No, that's a good beginning. I actually started when I was 16. I got exposed to my father's college university book on psychology. And man, I went down a rabbit hole with that. And I just started to like journal. I don't know if in high school, you guys had periods, right? Yeah. Like when I was in high school, we had periods. And like every period, I would start jotting down my feelings and thoughts. And that was my first time that I got to learn more about myself. But I, I got really passionate about it. Mm. I was doing it all the time. And yeah, from there, went to school and went to university and was did a dual major in business and psychology. and. That took me down a rabbit hole. We can go into all these different rabbit holes if you want. You let me know how much to share. But yeah, like you said, the highlight was me. I wasn't a Zen monk, but I studied with them. I practiced with them. Originally, when I first went in, you know, I was thinking of becoming a monk, a Zen monk. And that's how I got this haircut. That was back in 2001. And I decided to keep the haircut, but not to be a monk. And it's a, it's a pretty funny story, actually. I'll share it with it real quick. It was uh, a 90-day retreat. And I'm sorry, no, the first one was a 30-day retreat in silence. 
And just for the listeners, so they understand this kind of schedule, you get up at like 4.30 in the morning, you're basically doing sitting meditation till like 10 o'clock at night. It's a very intense schedule. There are breaks, but during the breaks, you're not allowed to read. You're only encouraged to do walking meditation or other, some other form of meditation. So it's just a very intense schedule. And my first one was 30 days. And I told them I, I wanted to be a monk. So what they did was, is they put the most attractive woman next to me for 30 days. <laughs> and that, that was that was quite an interesting experience because you, you could probably imagine like when you're attracted to someone, you're not sitting next to them all the time in everyday life. So when you're sitting next to someone that you're attracted to, you could just imagine where your mind goes to and what you're experiencing and you're trying to cut off the thoughts, but like all these strong sensations are coming up. So it was after that, that I realized that I didn't want to be a monk, that I, I still wanted to be a lay person. They knew what they were doing then. Is what they knew saying. what they were doing. Yeah. And then what I decided to do was every three months, I, I would be somewhere different, like in my training. So winter and summer, I would do 90 days with these monks and some lay people. Uh, in these Zen mon- monasteries, whether it was in Rhode Island or in Eastern Europe, like Poland and Czech Republic or Korea. So I was, I belonged to this international Zen organization and uh, they had these long retreats for the monks for the months of winter and summer. So I did that for quite a while. Mm. And in between those retreats, I, I would do my own personal training program. I usually had people sponsor me and I would do like a nine to five kind of training. So I would just continue the training that I was doing in the monastery, but I would just go deeper into some other different techniques and tools, mostly in Western psychology. And other times I would be doing yoga training. Another time I would be studying with some Taoist masters and uh, learning Qigong and Tai Chi and about energy and systems. So yeah, over eight years, I did a lot of different things and I'm really grateful for it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you have a very unique background. I know I've, I've heard a few stories from it. You know, you said the word Zen a few times and it's funny. I remember in college, myself and my roommate, we actually called our room the Zen room and we actually even painted that on the wall and we had this lava lamp and we used to light incense and have candles and, and it was just a cool vibe in there. But you you described it in a few different types of ways, I guess. What does Zen really mean? What does it mean to you specifically? Yeah, Zen, Zen's a great practice because any religion can practice Zen. I mean, Zen does come from Zen Buddhism, but what Zen did is take away all that religious statues and icons and any kind of beliefism, they just take it all out of, they took the Buddhist stuff out. And it's just mainly about being present. So I was brought up Catholic and I learned about Zen through some of my Catholic priests and brothers that I admired. So the contemplative tradition in Catholicism, these monks, they have studied in these different Buddhist monasteries to deepen their own prayer tradition in Christianity. So Zen is just a great practice for any religion. It's just about yeah, it's just about being present. That's what I did. Just sitting on a cushion, looking at the floor for like 18 hours a day. And when the thoughts would come up, I would just learn how to disidentify from them, to see them as like clouds in the sky and just 
remember of being the blue sky. So if there was clouds, you just recognize it as that. You're not getting attached to them. Or like when there's thunder and there's strong emotions, you're just feeling it. You're just experiencing it. But it's being held by this greater expanse, what I call 360 awareness. Mm. So yeah, Zen's very simple. It's, you know, there's, there's a, a famous story about that. When, when you ask a Zen master, what is Zen? They'll say the grass is green hmm. or the sky is blue. It's just, they're just point to very simple truths. Simplicity. Yeah, simplicity. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, have now been in the real world, you are coaching incredible leaders and sales professionals and many different types of people in different industries. And as you study, you know, as a monk for sit for 18 hours a day, just looking down at the floor, that's a very different lifestyle than being out in the world and driving great results and and building a team and building a company and having kids and all those different aspects of one's life that can be both wonderful, but can also be both, oh boy, this is a lot. There's a lot for me to hold. Absolutely. And so how, as you practice Zen yourself, and also as you teach other people in the real world and how to embody the certain simplicity that you speak of, the grass is green in real life. How do you do that? What does that actually look like? How is one supposed to be practicing Zen, you know, in this way of life, this simplicity in such a hectic and chaotic world that's not just sitting on the floor for 18 hours a day? That's a good question. Yeah. I mean, as you know, I, I teach a simple practice called seed of essence. And what that is, so the, the listeners understand, it's just basically feeling your lower belly. And in Zen and other traditions, especially like Chinese medicine traditions, your lower belly is your root. It's what grounds you, right? It's difficult to be present in the world if you're not rooted. Because mm. if you're not rooted, the energy is going to go in your head. You're going to get looped in thoughts or you're going to get looped in emotions, or you're going to check out, right? So just a simple practice of just feeling your belly. And then from that place, just bringing your awareness in all the different directions, just doing a simple practice like that. Just, you know, maybe you're on a call with someone. I've worked with a lot of sales leaders. And if you're on a call, just like just remembering to feel your belly. You know, Trey Miles, Trey Miles told me that when he did this practice, that it really enhanced his results as a sales leader, as a sales rep. Because when you're in your belly and you're being present, what is the prospect going to feel? What is your team member going to feel? They're going to feel that you're with them. Their nervous system is going to feel safe. They're going to relax and that creates psychological safety. So yeah, just a simple practice of like just feeling your belly, the seed of essence Mm -hmm. and just being aware of your surroundings. Of course, there's a lot more to it, you know, and that's why people do coaching with me or Hopefully they do in the immersion that we're going to hold soon in February, where we'll be doing this in a, in a deeper way. Well, I think you bring an interesting point, and obviously you've really taught me how to do that, and I relate to that in so many different types of ways. I mean, whether it's me in a one-on-one with a rep on my team, and them either struggling with something in their personal life that's affecting how they're showing up at work, or just talking about deal that we're working on, or especially speaking with a customer. And I love, especially in sales, teaching the frameworks, right? So for example, how to frame a whole conversation, what is the four steps to frame a conversation, how to quantify 
pain. Hey, what's, what's the metric? Where are you at today? Where do you need to be? What's holding you back? And you can start to quantify it. And it's a helpful way to extract powerful information from people to help to figure out what their problem is. And I found it such an interesting practice of how do I both be knowing where to take and guide people to in a powerful way when it's coming from truth, when it's coming from goodness, when I'm truly wanting the best for other people, while also always bringing it back to my seat of essence and being here and to allow whatever's meant to happen organically. And probably one of the hardest things, at least that I've experienced is, you know, letting go like, Hey, sure. Especially in sales, I want to get you to sign this contract. (laughs) That's how I, sure. That's how I measure. That's how I make money. But also how do I do it from, I want to actually really just provide you something good. I really want to solve your problems. I really want what's best for you and for your company. Yes. And oh, by the way, the byproduct of that is we'll start a partnership and you'll sign a contract and I'll hit my quota, but that's because it's a win for you. And that's a practice. That's a constant. Where are you coming from? That's right. I'm sure you probably experienced this. Like when you're able to relax down more in your your lower belly, the seat of essence and be in presence, you're you're able to feel more, right? You're able to feel your heart. You feel empathy. Like there's less agenda. It's it's that Mm -hmm. true for you. Yeah. 100%. I mean, it's like the classic movie or quotes, like, it all comes back to love. (laughs) (laughs) Just love. That's what life is. It's just live, laugh, love. Yes. And until you really start to feel, and sure, I don't feel love all the time. Yeah. But I also do know that when I can really say, how do I embody what love would feel like both for myself as well as for other people? and create a form of, of like a transmission, a frequency, a vibration coming off of my body yeah. and saying like, Hey, I really just want what's like, give me a big old yeah. hug. You know, then people like you were just saying, feel that psychological safety. Yeah. People feel that care, right? They, they, they feel that care and their guard comes down and, and then they're able to listen to like, Oh, okay. I can be curious now about what he's trying to show how this product can mean a need of mine. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Rob, I will say, <laughs> I just laugh as I, as I think of this, you are someone who knows how to trigger people. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think you're the master now, brother. <laughs> I think I passed the baton to you. I like to say, I know how to catalyze people. How about that? You no. you though, we've had many situations. I mean, through our friendship and through you being my coach of calling me out. Yeah. Right. Especially when I was placating you or trying to keep the peace or, or not saying like, no, we're fine. When something was actually upset, you say, no, I'm trying yes. to pull this out on you. Yes. I love just for you to kind of share when you catalyze people, let's, let's use that term. Cause that's a more powerful term for you. You're, you're a catalyzer. You make people feel something and want to step more into something, even when it feels uncomfortable. Yeah. What are you seeing and why do you do that? You're very good at it and you do it this with purpose. It's so interesting. Why do you do yeah, it? this, this is an interesting conversation because as you know, I, I've shared this with you personally and professionally. I, I never mean to trigger people. It's actually <laughs> one of these like fucking unfortunate curses. And it's a blessing because, well, let's just talk about the blessing part first. The blessing is, is that it really helps people to see what's going on for them, like what they're missing, what their blind spot is, right? Where they're holding themselves back. The unfortunateness of for me is that I haven't learned how to gauge enough where it doesn't have so much personal impact on me. And I'm still learning that as a leader <laughs> because I don't even mean 
most of the time the trigger like it's just like i'm just seeing something so to answer your question like usually it's like when you're in presence it becomes like a mirror so just imagine i've been doing this work for 30 years on myself like feeling every single little inkling of fear in my beingness in my body in my psychology every feeling of anger or sadness or joy or whatever it is right so when you're able to do that and you're, you're like, you're hyper aware of yourself and you're in this presence, you become a mirror. Mm. You know, a great example is when you're really feeling good and happy, right? And you're confident and then you meet someone and they're in like in the opposite state. It becomes a mirror. Like you can see what's going on with them because of what you're experiencing versus what they're experiencing. So you, you're able to develop empathy. So when you're in presence, you even develop that empathy even more, that awareness not only of what you're experiencing, but what others are experiencing. Mm-hmm. So I will see when someone is not being authentic to themselves. Mm-hmm. I never will give someone a reflection unless I get permission, unless they're in a container with me. But even so, even though when I do get permissions, I still get fucking pushback <laughs> in a massive <laughs> way. And I'm still learning how to be in this art of catalyzing. I think, you know, in my program, I actually don't teach people how to catalyze. Because it's it's a very powerful leadership capacity. And I'm still learning myself in this. So yeah, so what I do is I can feel where someone's not connected through authenticity or like something's, they're presenting something that's not aligned with the goal that they asked me to help them in. Mm. For instance, you know, I've worked with a lot of sales reps where they want a goal of not being attached to outcomes. And then I work with them and I can see that they're being attached to outcomes. And I will share that reflection. I mean, I'll I'll give the example of what you helped me with. One of the things is I am a peacekeeper. I am a placator, right? I don't want to ruffle the feathers and cause people's feelings to hurt. And what that causes me to do is beat around the bush, right? Avoid hard conversations because I don't want people to feel upset. And I feel like though with me though, right? You've been, I mean, I was the only person that you don't do that with so much, right? Well, I was going to say, you've taken me on that journey, right? Obviously I have a a massive vision and goal for being a powerful leader that helps develop other people that helps them tap more into themselves and also to accomplish great goals together, right? And to say, Hey, you want to do something like, let's help you get there. I want to do that. That's what like fills me up. and. I also was avoiding hard conversations. And how am I supposed to help people better step into their higher version of themselves if I can't have a direct and honest conversation with them because I don't want to hurt their feelings? That's right. And I feel like many millennials, especially, I think, feel this way, right? It's like the classic and everybody's heard it. Everybody gets the trophy. Everybody's doing great. Congratulations. Here you go. Yes. And you don't want to call people out or favor people. And so what you've really helped me do, especially over the past two years, I feel like I've really at least been intentional with this, or at least been aware of this and been able to work on it of you, you catalyze me to say, Hey, stop, have those hard, like mess someone up with love. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I'm actually curious. I mean, it's up to you whether or not you want to share this, this openly but like there was a time where like you shared really transparently with me and openly remember on the couch here 
mm-hmm. in my place. How did it feel to really speak from anger? Like to really speak your needs and your feelings with me and like for us to be like fucking go at it, you know? Yeah. What did that feel like? Yeah. And just to give people context, Rob and I spend a lot of time together. <laughs> and we also have various collaborations in terms of what we are trying to bring to this world and how we're helping each other's individual paths and also help a, a path together. And we have different philosophies and, and ways about bringing that to the world. And we really clashed. And I remember it felt, it's interesting to say this now, but like, I remember raising my voice and yelling at you. Yeah, <laughs> I screamed at you because I was so passionate about what I believed in. And you <laughs> screamed at me right fucking back. And we got in this like massive shouting match. And I was like, I had, we put pause. I was like, Hey, like I need to like walk outside and just like, we need to like move the air in here a little bit. And I remember coming back and I remember sharing with you of just, man, I'm so grateful that I have something that I'm so passionate about that I'm willing to scream and stand up for that. And also to do it in a safe place with you. I'm allowed to go there, but I know we're still holding the container. There's still a sacredness. There's a safety between you and I. Yeah, we're still doing the practice so people know. Like, We should give them more context. Alex, you're part of my multi-year program around second-tier leadership that we'll talk about in a minute. But we're we're practicing as we're getting angry. Because when we get angry like that, that allows us to get clear on what's most important to us. Mm-hmm. And even if we're getting lost in it in the moment, later on, we do the practice called relationship of freedom, where we learn how to take more ownership of what's going on and really mm-hmm. claiming your need and really honoring the other person's need too, when they were angry. Mm-hmm. So I actually, I'll let you know how the impact was for me. One, I trusted you more when you did that. I felt safer mm-hmm. like when, when you got that wet with me. And then I was like, wow, I feel safe because that means that I can be the same way too. And I know that you're not going to judge me afterwards or push me away or reject me, whatever it is. So for me, it like it, it gained trust. It made me feel safe because we have the same vision about leadership. We have the same vision of what kind of culture we want to create. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, I wouldn't recommend doing that in the corporate world unless the team was super sync with each other and they spent a lot of time with each other. But you have more experience than me in those environments. Well, it depends on the relationships you have. And and I think that's the beauty of leadership is to what is the culture that you want to create? If people feel passionate about something and it's coming from a good place, that's meaning good and to spread good in this world. And maybe they have a different lens. How can we as leaders create an environment where people feel safe enough to do that? And also for me to do that. And that's not easy to do, but especially as you look at where corporations are going, like they're changing, they're evolving more, especially COVID really started this whole new way of what is the purpose of a company? People are wanting more meaning in their life. People are wanting more community. Hell, people are wanting to be friends with their colleagues. Yes, yes, it's true. And when people are feeling like they're a cog in the machine or sales reps are saying, my job is to purely drive revenue, and they're not able to attach a certain mission or like, why am I doing this? People are getting burnt out. People are getting stressed. People are getting overwhelmed. People are quitting. There's a lot. It's a dangerous road that if we don't change how corporations make people feel, 
and also doing good in this world and to bring a, an abundant path, it's scary yeah. where that could go. Yeah, I, I told you this. I think 100 years from now, corporations are going to be dinosaurs. They're going to be obsolete. Just so people know, I'm, I'm really in touch with more of the visionary leaders in the business world, people that are trying to create novel kind of organizations and systems and structures. And I can see it. Like It's definitely moving away from like your usual top-down bureaucratic agenda-driven, profit-driven kind of models. There's a great book for people to read if they're ever interested in going into this. It's called Reinventing Organizations by Frederick Ballou. And he has found some examples of some organizations out there moving away from the profit-moving kind of agenda and going more towards what he calls evolutionary purpose. So everyone is tapped into the purpose and vision together. And it's not so much about the money as it is about purpose. So I, I have a sense that's what we're going to be moving towards. It's not going to happen. It's not going to be scaled all over the place. But I, I think 100 years from now, it's, it's going to change. A lot of things are going to change with artificial intelligence and so many different things coming into the world. But yeah, you can see it. There's a movement towards more abundant kind of cultures. Mm. I always feel for, for you guys, and I, I got a little taste of it just working with you a little bit, but when there's these quotas and they're going through and they're going down, like there's agenda. I mean, there's fear like, oh shit, as a sales leader, as a director, if I don't hit these fucking numbers or my team doesn't hit these numbers, I'm gone. Mm -hmm. That's scary. So that's fear-based, right? That's a fear-based system. And it's to benefit the shareholders or the equity owners. Mm -hmm. But in these these new designs that are coming out out there, it's it's going to be different. It's mm. going to be more about, man, our motivation is about adding value in the world versus trying to increase the bottom line. Mm -hmm. That's happened. I mean, just people like you're a testament of it, you know, and, and the people that you're introducing me to in your age group, the millennials, they're wanting more of that, but they're getting caught up in these systems. Yeah. Well, I think that's what's really exciting right now. And just to touch on that real quick is... I remember I took a sales call one time at your apartment. For those who don't know, both Rob and I live in New York City and, and I was at his apartment. I took a sales call and I got off and he's like, dude, you sounded different on that call. Like, what was that voice you went to? You know, and I I remember that. I was like, my voice, definitely there's, there, there's my sales voice, I guess, yeah, when yeah. I'm not coming from the right spot. Right, right. Well, let me give them a little bit more context. So Alex and I have been doing this project and I've been supporting him with Alluvian. So he would come over sometimes and we would work on these projects and like our, we have this culture of like coming from abundance. And if like something doesn't feel right, we slow down and we do a practice, right? So in the middle of that day, he had a call with a prospect, I think, right? It was a prospect. Yep. And right away, it's almost like you like turned on a button, like, all right, corporate sales rep time. Yep. And it was like night and day. And here I am in the kitchen doing our work, working on the computer. And I'm like cringing. Like, yeah, I didn't tell you that. Like, I'm cringing. <laughs> I'm like, Man, like so much compassion for you and for everyone else that's working in corporate. I'm like, my God. And I'm like, you've been studying with me for four or five years. Mm -hmm. And you, you still went back to that button, that that mode, because that's what's encouraged. That's what works. And there's probably a sense too, that it's not safe to be how we are right now in this mm -hmm. moment, like being more authentic. So I will say, and yes, I cringe thinking back on that. And it's a constant practice. And when I say practice, what that mean, what I mean by that is like presencing. It's a constant bringing it back and presencing here of 
where am I coming from? Even as I'm sharing right now, where am I coming from? Am I trying to sound really cool and like I know what I'm doing? Or am I really like creating space to have a cool conversation with you that's like meaning good? That's right. And I get inspired and excited though about the evolution of corporations because yes, for many people, it is going on a very unique trajectory and a scary one. And one, it's like, oh, they're shifting and, and we got to shift it. And I get so excited. It's like, cool. Yes. I right. get to be one of the people That's right. who shifts it and changes it. And I also get to support other people in shifting and changing it and evolving it in whatever way they think is best, yeah. as long as we're all going towards trying to bring meaning and community in this world. Exactly. This episode is brought to you by Alluvians. Alluvians is helping sales professionals and sales leaders master the craft of sales by transforming the inner game. Last year, we threw over four retreats and helped over 150 tech sales professionals, leaders, and founders. And next, we got it going on May 3rd through 5th in the beautiful Austin, Texas area. So make sure you apply to alluvians.co to check it out for more. And that's what lights me up because that's what I feel like I'm meant to do. I'm a visionary leader. And as, as you guys have heard, like I have spent a lot of time, not so much in the world, right? Developing, like tapping into these deeper levels of being, which tap into different levels of culture. And my purpose is to bring this more into the world. And like, you're like taking the baton. I'm passing on the baton to you mm -hmm. to bring this more in the world that's more curated to where people are at. And that excites me because I want to work with visionary leaders that want to like transform the culture in corporate mm -hmm. and also in organizations. Yeah, it's and funny. You're doing, it, man. you're doing it. It's it's funny. The other day when we were getting dinner, we talked about how I was like, I think I'm an old soul and I think you're a future soul. <laughs> yes, <laughs> your your yes. soul is from the future who's come come to the past to help to change the trajectory to bring us more into what a a, a meaningful future looks like yes and you have some pretty wonderfully unique ways to do it and we kind of mentioned this very briefly earlier but we talked about being the founder of lumina and being the founder of dynamic presence and leading a a second tier ecosystem and people are like what the heck is what the second fuck is that? <laughs> and so i would just love for you to share a little bit more of what what are you really trying to bring this world that is it's challenging the certain norms and yeah. it takes a certain level of presence, a certain level of embodiment. And that I've really enrolled into saying, I see the value in this. Wow. If people could start to act and be this type of way, wow, I see this yes. solving most, if not all of the problems that we, this That's world cool. humans are facing. Yes. That really touches me hearing you say that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> Yeah, let me, let me share. So after I finished my schooling with business, I was in a co-op program. I went down, I decided to go down a rabbit hole and I went into, to, into deep spirituality. I studied with a lot of different spiritual traditions and religions and also spaces of personal growth and personal development. And in those spaces, there's just a lot of opportunity to connect deeper with yourself and with others. And you just tap into a higher potential. And the challenge has always been for me is like people like me and others, my peers, it's like we're in these silos, right? But they're not always coming down into the world. Like one of the features of a second tier system is where 
leaders have the capacity to be able to take on multiple perspectives from people. So everyone has a perspective and you're able to take it on and not just have civil discourse, which is healthy too, but even go further than that, like really take it on. A lot of times when you're in civil discourse, which is rare these days, right? But when it did exist, like 10 or 20 years ago, people would would go back and forth sharing their views, but no one would be taking on the perspectives. So with second tier, especially the later stages of first tier, you're, you're taking on more perspectives of people. Like you're not just hearing their perspectives, but you're really trying to walk through that person's life, how they came to that view, like walking, what, what's that cliche you, where you walk in someone else's shoes, walk in someone's shoes. Yeah. Right. Walk in someone's shoes for a thousand miles, something like that. So that that's when, you know, you're tapping into what I call vision logic. You're taking on different perspectives and you're, and you're allowing yourself to be influenced. I mean, think about that. Like when you look at the world today, you put on the, the news, people are, are, are allowing each, each allowing themselves to be influenced by one another. No, usually it's a fucking shit show, right? It's like, bah, 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 right? So I see a future really staying curious with each other, staying curious of our views and taking on those perspectives and seeing where like maybe we're missing something or by taking on the view, we're seeing how the other person is missing something and you're able to bridge more, right? So just imagine if we had a culture like that where people as leaders had the capacity to take on multiple perspectives. That's what we call vision logic in, in second tier. Mm-hmm. So I'm just trying to make it really simple because as you know, second tier, the, <laughs> the whole thing is complex and I could explain it if you, if you, well, if, I'll, I'll, I'll comment on, important. I can explain it more. I'll comment on one thing first, and then I would love for you to kind of say, what is the biggest difference between first tier and second tier? Maybe expand on that. So people at least say, what is first tier? Like I said, I think the most important distinction between first tier and second tier is that perspective taken. Yeah. Well, and it's hard because what you are doing in second tier is you are not just saying, okay, I could understand that from your perspective. You're actually saying, let me look, let me look and feel and experience what your world is like. Let me actually go there. Let me even go so far as to look at your upbringing and look at the social norms that you went through to start to believe this. Let me look at what you might be some trauma, some generational trauma that you've been like really allowing yourself to go there. And as you were sharing, I thought of just having like, it's like compassion. It's it's empathy. That's that's really allowing yourself to go there. But what you mean is you're going under such a deeper level. And one thing that you said to me over and over again is you see the truth in what they are saying. Yeah. Right. Sure, you might disagree, but when you put yourself in their shoes and in their seat, you say, oh, that's actually a truth in your world. I can understand that. And then you also have the lens of, and you might need to sharpen this statement that I bring is, which truths are more true? <laughs> that's it. That, that actually yeah. look yes. at the larger ecosystem and container that we are in that maybe you, because you have a certain level of embodiment yes. and ability, a greater capacity, maybe is a better word for you to, to experience and understand this. You can start to see, I can see why that's true. I can see that's true, but also understand which one plays into the greater, larger picture. That's right. Yeah. And I, I would say the other distinction is that you're able to own your bias. 
I, I think that's a major distinction between first tier and second tier is that you're able to own your bias. So like you, okay. So in first tier, usually you have people that just believe in what they believe in. They have the certainty. They're like, no, this is true. Let's let, can you give an example? Let's bring this to life a little bit. Uh, okay. Or just like maybe a truth that I see that maybe that I don't agree with. Yeah. That you don't see and And you see why I could feel that oh, way easily. You want, you want to do the enrollment process? <laughs> it's up to you because <laughs> that feels like because sure. that, that gives us an opportunity to see where where we disagree but we love each other in it and like we're owning it yeah. so I, I think it'd be a great example for the people that are, are listening to this so, yeah so yeah because of your experience in corporate around sales you have a certain certainty and idea of what works of, of how to get people into to buy a product or to get into a program, right? So there's, there's a certain belief system around that. And you have found a way to create structures and said it earlier on this call that you teach people the four frames of, you know, what is it? four pre- stages of a pre-frame or four <laughs> stages of, of pre-framing. So yeah, that, that's, that's, that's your truth. That's how you believe you're going to optimize sales. Whereas with me, I come from a different experience. Like I, first of all, spent 30 years really examining where my motivations are coming from. And I have made a commitment to come from really pure love, to really come from fullness. And if I have a need that I'm not putting that on the other person, but that I'm asking them, hey, could you meet this need? So I have spent a lot of time knowing when I'm using someone else as a strategy to my need. And as I did that for 30 years and, and I was consulting for this business, as you know, for five years, I saw the very best of selling. You know, Mr. Z being one of them. I don't want, I want to say names on this, but like I just I just saw like, wow, they they taught me how to do enrollment, right? So I was taking their certainty about how to do sales and I was trying to bridge it with my personal development and and coming from love, coming from essence. So I have created my own system of enrollment based on that, where I do the best I can to create systems in my enrollment process that's not coming from agenda or trying not to see them as a means to an end in terms of like money. Like for me, like I'm really trying to come from the place of Man, is this really going to create value? Is this the right time for them to do this this product or this program, right? And I'm not saying you don't have that intention too, but I think you and I see things differently. And as you were trying to bring me through your system, I was starting to feel like that I was becoming like one of your sales reps, and like we had to hit this. You can never, you can never make it on my team, Rob. (laughs) I I definitely know that now. (laughs) I totally agree. And uh, it was just a, man, it was a great opportunity. Like, I want to celebrate us, man, because we we navigated that well. That was difficult for both of us, but I think we did a good job in owning, like me understanding where you were coming from, your views and your thoughts, and you were able to receive me about my thoughts around enrollment. And we just didn't have, you know, a perfect agreement, but we're, we're still staying curious even in this moment, right? Mm. Like our, our relationship is on a journey and we're exploring together. We're allowing each other to be influenced Mm -hmm. after that experience with you, where I was like, Hey man, I I just can't 
do this. I can't be part of this process. It's killing me inside. It really brought a lot of enlightenment to me. It helped me understand more of what's going on out there in, in the corporate world. And it's not bad or good, right? So a lot of people, you, you've had a lot of people on your team that really enjoy that, right? Mm -hmm. So the only reason why it didn't work for me is because I'm looking for, my typology prefers a different kind of culture and the standard for psychological safety is a little higher too. So just to go back to why we're sharing all this, we're, we're talking about an exercise in taking on perspective, how it's different from first tier and second tier. So if we were just a first tier, all right, let's, let's just give like the most unhealthy version of first tier leadership. You would have said, fuck you to me. And I would have said, fuck you to me, you or whatever. I, maybe, or, you know, if you were my boss, it's probably a better example. I would just would suck it up and just get disempowered, but try to placate you, right? Mm -hmm based on that certainty. So there's really no, there's no discourse on views because in, in those environments, I would imagine that would be considered inefficient, right? Because mm -hmm. no, we have the certainty about what fucking works and we're going to do it. And if mm -hmm. it doesn't, you don't do it, you can't be here, right? So yeah. it's fear-based. Like, oh, if I can't be here, I'm not going to make enough money. How am I going to take care of myself? So that that's what we would consider an unhealthy version of first here, all right? Yeah. Where you, one person has a view, a perspective another person has perspective but there's not an allowance of a discussion like one is there's like a power over yeah right so there's no ownership there there's no taking on perspectives and then when you get to more healthier versions of first tier taking on perspectives but you're not really like you're, you're what we call in we call it kumbaya like, oh, okay, everyone has their perspective and we respect each other, but no one's really discerning what's more truer than the other. Because in, in just to give people a little bit more context, maybe I'm saying too much here, but there's this been movement around postmodernism, especially in psychology and the liberal arts programs. Postmodernism is about questioning reality. It's about questioning truth. And the main axiom of postmodernism is everyone has their truth. Everything is relative. So that's what we would call the last stage in first tier, this postmodernism, where we believe that everyone has a truth, there's all this relativity, nothing's more truer than the other, right? But you can imagine the chaos that would create in a corporate system, right? So that's, well, I think not, that's not ideal either. It's What's important to note here is that different ways of being are required in different situations. Right. Because what you can you just kind of talked about or or even the an even higher level can be a, a utopian view, even though there's there's weird feelings yeah. around the word utopian, but right. it's like, well, everybody's right and we're just all gonna work out perfectly because we're gonna be that. But in certain organizations, for example, if I'm leading a sales team and I have a very specific way that I want to go about the sales process. And I want to have everybody on my sales team do that, then I can actually start to replicate it and scale. That's right. Exactly. Like that's the value. Right. That's the value. It's, it's a, an efficient way of scaling. And you're teaching people a foundational scale that says put it on repeat. That's right. And then as people evolve and, and grow, then they can come up with their own. But yeah, I think, you know, what's important to note here, and it took me a while to really understand this first tier is not bad compared to second tier. That's right. It's not higher or lower. First tier is still required in certain organizations and situations and relationships, right? And even if you are a second tier leader in different types of situations, you are required to go down into a first tier way of being. That's right. 
right? And say, for example, somebody on your sales team is not getting their shit done or hitting their KPIs or doing whatever. And sometimes you just say, hey, get you shit done or you're not going to be here for long. That's right. And that might be a certain like a totalitarian type of, of view. That's right. That's right. I'm glad you you said that. Like, yeah, first tier is not lower than second tier. Second tier is not better than first tier. It all depends on the metrics. Like if you're working with a number of people that are not interested in personal development or not interested in creating some more visionary aspects of business, yeah, this would not be relevant for them. So what's going to be relevant for them is where they're at, what kind of culture they want to create. Yeah. So it's like, it's honoring where people are at. That's another thing that I would like to insert here around first tier and second tier. So that all first tier and second tier, those, those constructs comes from a philosopher named Ken Wilber. And what he did was he took about a hundred lines of developmental psychology research based on Eastern psychology and Western psychology. And he put them together and what he saw was, is that there's, there's these different similarities and patterns at these different levels in the developmental psychology. So he put something together called first tier and, and second tier. So all of this is based on where people are at in terms of certain markers in developmental psychology. Going back to the example, some people are just not interested in personal development. That's a further along stage. If yeah. you're if you're valuing personal development, it's a different stage of of where you're at. Not everyone's going to be at that place. My well, mom think, and dad are not at that place. And like I when I see them, I go into their world and try to connect with them. But this is the whole fucking pickle. The pickle is it's not kumbaya, not everything's okay. It's like it's about being in the tension. So yes, you're honoring where people are at, but yeah, you're a fucking visionary leader too. And you're pushing back and you're going into intimacy with that. So that's where you, it's more second tier. It's not kumbaya, everyone let's honor everyone. It's also like you're pushing back, but you're also taking on the views and allowing yourself to be influenced mm -hmm. just as much as the other person is allowing themselves to be influenced. Yeah. That's the distinction between first tier and second tier. Mm. Yeah, and I think I, I want to bring it back to the why. Why does any of this even matter? Or why does second tier versus first tier matter? Why are we talking about this? And I think I speak with sales leaders, sales professionals, a lot of people in my network often. Right. It's one of I'm a very extroverted person. And if I don't have a few phone calls on my calendar in a day, I tend to not enjoy that day as much. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of people right now are feeling, ooh, something's off. What is this? People are feeling certain caged inness. People are feeling this like, oh, something's moving, something's changing. The well, let's world. name it too. I want to name it too. Like they're feeling stressed, right? You and I have been interviewing these these sales reps. They're they're feeling stressed. They're feeling overwhelmed. They're feeling burnt out. You know, they're feeling numb, right? They're not even being able to be present outside of work with their loved ones. Mm -hmm. They don't know who the fuck they are, right? That's another thing. And they're also like, man, I don't know who the fuck I am, but I can feel that there's greatness. Like I know that I'm meant to bring something great in this world and, and fucking impact it. Those are the kind of people that you and I are attracting. Mm -hmm. It's becoming more and more, especially in the millennial generation. I'm sure Gen Z is going to be even more. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, I want to I want to name that greatness thing because that's one of my favorite. When I speak with people and you speak with people, there's certain 
some people just like, you're like, oh man, you got something that you're wanting to bring to this world. There is, there is something that you're just inspired by. And one of my, my greatest mentors from outreach was a guy named Mark Cosiglo. And one thing that Mark always talks about is when you are selling the transfer of passion from yourself to the other is unbelievably powerful. Yes. Right. In order to make other people passionate about something and to drive change and movement first, you need to be passionate about it yourself. Yes. And whether it be about sales or whether it be in a romantic relationship or whatever it is, if you're feeling this just like static, like lull of an energy and just like checking the box and trying to get by, damn, that sucks. Yeah. That's a terrible feeling. And there's nothing worse than thinking, hmm, if something doesn't change for another two years, not too long, but enough, two years, and I'm in this and I'm still feeling this exact way, how would I feel? Yeah. Damn, that would be a bummer. That's right. Especially when you got that thing that it's almost like was given to you. You're like, but I'm meant for something good. Yes. I meant to make impact. I'm Brent, I meant to bring meaning to this world to not just myself, but to other people and help them feel meaning. That's what I think not only are, are people craving, but I think that's what you are speaking to of, hey, there's more ways to do and to live and to do business and, and, and to build partnership and to trust. And if we can evolve and allow ourselves to learn this new way, and, and whether you force it or whether you allow it to unfold in front of you, people will hopefully start to feel like there's like a little bit of like an out, like they're get stabbed with like an electric little thing. It's like, oh man, all of a sudden my body's turned on again. Yes. All of a sudden I feel like I want to wake up and I want to go hug my partner and, and go out with my friends and I want to get off my damn phone that I view as me socializing, but it's really not a true sense of like I'm connecting with people with my heart. That's right. I think that's that's what we have the opportunity of. And I and I'm so grateful that through your path and through your experience, whether it be through the Zen monastery or personal development in the past 30 years or just coaching people, you are bringing this through your flavor. I am bringing this through my flavor, through my background at Microsoft and outreach and DocuSign, these tech companies. And so that's, I think, what we are inspired to do is there's a lot of people in different paths on their life who, no matter where they're at, what modality they do, what they do for a trade, whatever it might be, it's like, let's help people bring that unique thing that just turns them on, that then starts to turn on everybody around them. And that's good. I agree. Well, Rob, man, we really just went there. I did. I, did. <laughs> I appreciate this. I'll, I'll finish with this and I'll ask you a question. First, I, I just want to honor you, man, for you showing up authentically and trying to make a change in this world for what you believe in your heart to be right and to stand up for yourself. And just as much as we screamed at each other that one day, it's like you believe in something and that is a powerful and it's, it's palpable as well. Like I received that from you, that transmission from you. So I honor you for blazing that path on your own and, and inspiring others like myself to, to do that as well. So thank you for that. I'm grateful too, brother, because like I said, we need each other to make impact. If you think that you can be Superman and, and do everything to help this world, I would say that <laughs> your belief system is limited. Like we need each other because we each have a genius. 
you just highlighted some of my gifts and like your gifts is what allows my gifts to come into the world more. And I'm, I'm really grateful for that, brother, that we're in this interdependency and we're trying to figure it out. And like, we're creating the foundation for a second tier ecosystem. I can feel it with us. Yeah. I'm just confused why you don't think I'm Superman. So, <laughs> uh, I kind of took that. That was, oh, it's more, it's more that would hurt a little bit. <laughs> it's more of like being an Avenger. Yeah. I'm an Avenger. Avenger is where you you have each other and you're on a team, right? And you're working to solve the problems in the world. Yeah. Maybe on the the closing music for for this podcast will be the Avenger theme song. (laughs) (laughs) That would be great. I would love that. I love that song. Oh, man. Well, my final question for you is this, Rob. If you could call forward people to do one thing that could really start this movement that would make people feel more alive, that would make some of these world problems start to be solved to bring forth this new way of thinking that is love that is that is good that is a greater good you can feel it what is one thing or maybe even a more simplistic way is any any parting words of wisdom for those who are who are hoping to embark upon that endeavor yeah i would like to use the words carpe diem Hmm. seize the moment like we only live once that's the cliche right and like a lot of you can feel that there's something great in you you're meant to have a bigger impact. You're not just meant to be a robot in some some kind of system. You're meant to really do something powerful in this world, like to give your full your full version of you. And my call forward is like, what would that look like, man? What is your moment of greatness? Yeah, what would it look like? Like really be a kid again, put on the Superman cape. What is it that, you know, you really want to do and to have courage? I'll be honest with you, it's not easy to always follow your passion, but I'll, I'll tell you what, I feel a lot more connected with myself. I'm, you know, I feel happier, even though there's struggles. That's what keeps me sane because our purpose, our deeper essence or deeper connection to ourselves is what allows us to be connected to something bigger. It's why we're here. So I, I just encourage people to ask that question, to ask, what is my moment of greatness? How, what, what is my superpower? Like to really go in that exploration, seeing how I can make so much impact in the world. Mm. And then the catch 22 and doing that to, to tap into more of who you are and tapping into more of your greatness is you need to connect with yourself. Go out there and find things to meditate, you know, to journal, to discover who you are, read books that will enrich you in, in your personal development. That's my, my invitation is to really seize everything and like, even if you're in a rough spot right now, if you're not feeling well, if you're feeling unfulfilled, if you're just in a dark place, like I'm also inviting you to see that as an opportunity to see any experience of pain as it's happening for you. I know that's, that's how I relate to it. I've experienced some pain lately. And like, I've always been looking into like, man, this is happening for me. It's not just a thought. Like I can feel it. It's happening for me, but it hasn't been revealed yet. So the invitation is also to put on that mindset and see how everything is happening for us and open your heart, man, to life, to intimacy. That just that doesn't just mean the good things in life, not just the, the sun setting, but to open your heart to fucking pain, man. to open your heart to like Alex and I not agreeing on something really important and like feeling the struggle with that, but opening my heart and feeling love for him and for his views. So I'm inviting all of you to... To show up that way in full heart-based leadership, like seeing everything, all this whole life is just a journey of intimacy. 
Well said, my friend. Well said. Well, Rob, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for being on the Rising Leader podcast. And you know, we got to do this again, man. There's so much more that we can. I don't know if the view. I don't know if the listeners can handle it. (laughs) We were just getting started, man. I was just getting started. This is this is part one of a 150 part series. (laughs) Let's do it next month, man. Monthly. This is fun. Awesome. All right, Rob. Love you, brother. I appreciate you. Oh, man, I got to tell everybody here, this show with Rob was a powerful one, to say the least. And we got in there <laughs> very, very quickly as well. For those who don't know Rob Renahan, Rob has been one of my closest friends for the past five years. He's been my coach, my mentor, and I've learned an absolute ton from him around mindfulness and embodiment and also being a leader. And through this conversation, we talk about Zen meditation and what that means to really embody that both while you're sitting for 16 hours a day, staring at the floor like Rob did for eight years or doing it in the business world at a corporation on a sales call and how to really bring that energy to your world and also what it means to be a leader in today's environment and the future of leadership and the future of cultures and where that's going. And we talked about how to really take on other people's views and even how to fight from a really healthy place and to disagree and to yell even, but to do it from love. And hopefully from listening to this podcast, you will feel a certain level of energy and excitement and hunger and zest to want to go do something with your life and to feel a new empowerment to bring your mission and your purpose to this world and to make an impact and to allow yourself to say, you know what? I am meant for greatness and I am here to bring it to the world. And I'm really excited for you to go on that journey. So with that, enjoy the show. Make sure you give us a follow. Can't wait to talk to you soon. With that, enjoy the show. Make sure to give us a follow. If you like this, share it with somebody you love, someone who's needing it. Let's catalyze this world. Thanks for listening to the Rising Leader Podcast. Make sure you hit that follow button so you get notified every time a new episode releases. If you know someone who wants to take their lives and their career to the next level, send them this episode so we can all rise together. For more information, check out alluviance.co. We'll see you next time. And in the meantime, keep letting it flow. This episode is brought to you by Alluviance. Alluviance is helping sales professionals and sales leaders master the craft of sales by transforming the inner game. In the past 12 months, we've thrown over four retreats and impacted over 100 tech sales professionals, leaders, and founders on diving in deep on what really matters, but really mastering the craft and being in an incredible community. Our next Arise Immersion is coming up this May 3rd through 5th in the beautiful Austin, Texas area, and make sure you grab your spot. Check out alluviance.co to apply there. Hope to see you there.